0: Uh, This morning, uh, we are wrapping our series, This Is Us, and we've been on a journey now for actually 10 weeks. Uh, We spent the first three weeks talking about the things that Jesus said was most important, the two greatest commands of the Great Commission. We looked at the power and the love of Jesus and His redeeming us at Easter as we look at the work that He did for us on the cross. And it's only those four weeks that set up what we've been discussing for the past six because we've been talking about how Jesus' ministry really shaped the value that we have in our core values here. So we've been walking through our core values of the fellowship for the past six weeks, one each. We value here at this church treating everyone as insiders so that others can become us. We, we are biblically centered as a basis or a grounding for us. We value life change in the gospel as a way to develop or better us we strategically multiply so the vision extends beyond us it doesn't die with us we're plural in our leadership so that we can offer the world the very best of us today we're excited because we value serving together because Jesus expects ministry to be done by us as Josh uh, I'm sorry as Scott said it so eloquently just at the beginning of the series this is not a series where we say look at us but it is a series that describes who we are as a people, the values we hold. And as I was thinking about the, the fact that I'd be teaching this on Mother's Day, I couldn't help but think about my own mom and how, how servanthood really defines her as a person. She valued both servanthood and togetherness. In fact, when I was a kid, my brother and I were like best of friends. We were really close, thick as thieves. And and I remember he used to follow me around everywhere because I was the older and he was the younger. Anyone else have that scenario where your little brother's your shadow? Okay, well... I, you know, m- me and my brother would get into it with kids in the neighborhood sometimes, and, and most of the kids in the neighborhood are a little older, especially my the, the kid right next door. He's like a year older than me, strong kid, but I really looked up to him, and he was a great kid. And one day, he started picking on my brother. Now, listen, I can talk about my brother and fight with him all day long. Behind closed doors, that's fine, but you start talking about my brother, and, you know, you going through me. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way we were really taught. Like. I'm going to have to step in and wreck things if you start talking about my brother. So I started talking about my brother, you know. And my little brother at the time kind of had a little bit of a speech impediment. And so I step in and I'm like, look, bro, it's now, now it's you and me. And we're in the neighborhood. Of course, like, you know, we're not going to really go toe-to-toe or hurt each other. But before I can even step to this kid... My little brother steps in because he thinks it's his turn to defend me. And my little brother gets in front of me and goes, you leave my butter alone. And I went, oh no. This just got way worse. My mom always reminded me of that story. I don't know if she heard it for herself from the house or one of her friends told her that because... I, she would come to me always and say, your brother looks up to you. He follows you around and he loves you. He would do anything for you. You need to honor that, that relationship, that togetherness. She saw the value in brotherhood. I didn't realize the value of brotherhood until I went off to college. And the day that my brother recognized that I was leaving, he literally had a panic attack. He was hyperventilating in the living room, breathing into a paper bag. And I knew at that moment, I was like, look, if you're going to make it, you need to know I'm coming back. I was like, it's okay, buddy. I, I, I value you. I'm with you. And I started to recognize for the very first time what my mom was, had been trying to tell me for years. Brotherhood is important. She understood that. Most moms get that. Jesus got that. In our passage today, in Mark 6, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. He read this, and he says it like this. Um, Verse 7 through 13. It says that he summoned the 12 together and began to send them out in pairs. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing on the road except a staff. No bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you... Or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached to the people that they should repent. And they drove out demons, anointed the sick with oil, and healed them. I want to give you my first point rather quickly today, and it is this. Jesus in this passage, let me read it again so you can see it for yourself. He summoned the twelve together, began to send them out in pairs, and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he told them to take nothing with them. Point one, he emphasized relationship over resource. Jesus seemingly emphasizes and elevates the importance of us being together and sending him out together versus sending them with anything else. What he's doing right here is he's giving them the opportunity to walk as apostles for the very first time. They are going out by the power of his spirit. Though they will not be indwelt by his spirit till Acts 2, they're going to go out and see the power of God leave them. In the name of Jesus, under the authority of the Father. And they're going to be given authority over unclean spirits. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to heal the sick. They're going to raise the dead. And he sends them out together so that they can serve as witness to one another of what is taking place. Like, let's imagine if Peter and John go out together. Peter walks into a house and he has to raise the dead. Well, John's got something to do because can you imagine the mourning that's happening in a house where the dead is? So John starts to take care This is just hypothetical I'm trying to paint a picture here But he comes in and He starts to take care of those who are, who are mourning Mom, dad, brother, sister While he walks in and raises the dead Then the older brother comes out And everyone celebrates And all of the world begins to rejoice Why? Because the power of God has been on display But like Autumn just said Did these men fix that? Did they fix that? Did they, did they bring that together in their own might or power? No. No. We often misconstrue what the church is for. And even in this day, we, we can't misconstrue where the power came from. These men, just like us, were simply a conduit. They were a conduit for the power of God and by the power of the Spirit. They were, we as a church, we have an opportunity to build something together. And we have opportunity to build faith in the one who actually heals and the one who actually fixes. And those men did as well. In fact, when they would, when they went out in Matthew 10, who records this as well, Jesus told them, when you go into a city, tell that city, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is going to sound really weird when you consider that these men who are doing this, we, we talked about this just a couple weeks ago, these were the Hebrew school washouts. These weren't the religious elite. These are the ones who were sent back to fishing. These are the ones who didn't have all of the accolades and the experience and the degrees that go with such ministry. But in true apprenticeship form, Jesus has taken these men aside, selected them as disciples. And he has ministered and they've watched him minister just like this. So they, they have an understanding, a framework, a construct by which they are to walk out and administer this kind of gift. And then Jesus has asked them to help as he's ministered. But then there's going to come a time in any apprenticeship where it's time for the apprentice to do as the master... And so they start to do, and the master begins to help. But in this time right here, it's they're going to do while the master witnesses. And it says that they they were able to do things to build the faith of those around him that they could not otherwise. Everything about these men screamed unqualified. These are not Saul of Tarsus. These are not the Pauls that we've been reading about. These are the people, here's here's the amazing part about this. These are the men that were so close to Jesus that eventually would train Paul. Isn't that amazing how God can flip the script so much on how we see things? He takes the guy who had everything. Fame, fortune, status. said, I would give it all up again to be in the presence of you here in chains for a peace like this. And I've been trained by mere fishermen. People that I exceeded in my old religion, my old framework. I was trained by them. I was shown by them how to walk as a conduit in the power of God. And Jesus, you alone heal, you alone fix. And so come and tear down the walls. And they allowed it, it happened. And here's the thing I want to say. Jesus doesn't hear and sending them out and saying you must go together. You must serve together. Not just as an opportunity to serve as ministry together or witness to the, mirror, the miraculous of God. They also were up against, in Matthew 10 it records, a lot of persecution. They were thrown in jail. They were flogged. Their lives were put at risk. And so he did not want them going through that alone. He's telling us it's a we thing. But even more so. He says, I want you to go in the power of the Spirit so you trust nothing but the Lord. And I want you to go in the power of your brother. That's very important. He says, take nothing with you. It's not that Jesus devalues resources because resources are important. We need money to do stuff. That's, That's how we live, right? And we are all trusting that the Lord is the one who places us as stewards over the resources he's entrusted to us. But he de-emphasizes here the importance thereof. Remember in Mark 10, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Hey, what must I do to inherit heaven? And he says, Hey, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come after me. Why? Because you place way too much faith in your stuff. Matthew 6 says, Hey, you can only serve one master. No one can serve two. You can serve God or money. And he went on to say, if you'll seek ye first the kingdom of God, everything shall be added unto you. If I've closed the birds of the air and I've taken care of the fish see how much more so you. But see, we have a tendency to place a lot of faith in our wallet. And Jesus says, I have no place for that because I'm going to do the supernatural amongst you, not just the natural. So I need you to think upon the miraculous and not simply the logical. And that's our second point. I want to go into a passage and I want to show you just what he means by this. But point two, remember the supernatural, not solely the natural. How many of you ever had a mom? I want to think, think of that word remember. How many of you had a mom who had a tendency to teach you lessons? And used, used examples to show you stuff? Like my brother who, hey, look, he loves you. He would stand in front of an enemy for you. So much so that he'll hyperventilate when you go off to college. He is that committed to you. I didn't learn it till later. Well, here's the thing. Jesus wants us to remember what he's tried to show us. Here in um, Matthew 18, 20, he says, For where two are gathered, there I am in the midst. I'm among them. Jesus sent out, and it's almost as if he was insistent, you have to take your brother with you, but you can take nothing else. Why? Because you have a tendency to trust the natural. What I'm about to do exceeds that. And I don't want you to get used to just throwing money at the problem, amen? I want you to get your hands dirty. I want you to get involved. I want you to join me in the working. I am a carpenter and I do fix that which is broken, but you get to join me in that. The kingdom of heaven is near and you get to come alongside me in the process as conduit, you and your brother together. As they came back, As they came back to Jesus, in Matthew 6, jumping a few verses, in verse 30, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. They come back, and they're super excited. They're like, look, Jesus, even demons are subject to us. We've never seen anything like this. We've raised the dead. We've healed the sick. It's unbelievable what has happened. And here's what Jesus says. It's so important. He turns to them and says, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest. Rest for a while. For many people had been coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. The people are coming and going because now Jesus has multiplied himself, and he sent out his disciples, and they're performing things just like he did. And so it's it's like exponentially grown, and people are coming, and they want to see what else will happen. They want to trust. They're sick. They're broken. They're healed. They're, they're those in need of healing to him and his disciples. And it says, So they went away in a boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot ahead of them to all the towns arriving in front of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and they he'd begun to teach them many things. When it grew late, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted. It's already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat for dinner. You give them something to eat, he responded. You feed them. They turned and said, Should we go and buy like 200 denarii worth of bread and give that to them something to eat? What, he's saying, what they're saying is, Hey, look, that's going to be like half a year's wages and we don't have it. So he turns and says, what do you have? How many loaves do we have? Go and see. And they found it. It said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves, the two fish, looked to heaven, blessed it, broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate. Everyone was satisfied to completion and they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So just before the feeding of what we recognize as the 5,000, Jesus has sent out the 12 and they've performed the miraculous just as he could. When they come back, they have this amazing report about what God has done because revival is breaking out and they, they are exhausted because they've been used as a conduit by the power of God. How many of you have ever seen God move in our midst and you were exhausted afterwards? So he gives his disciples what we need, and that is rest. He pulls them aside, he starts to encourage them, gives them food, he's praying with them, he's he's telling them well done, as they jump into a boat and they go across the sea. Everyone notices they gather on the other side. They go before him to meet him, because they want to see what he'll do next. Having compassion on them, he gets out of the boat and he teaches. He does not ask the disciples to come. They're still resting. But he wants them to catch something. Remember the supernatural, not solely the natural. When they start to recognize that it's late, it's about six at night, and there's nothing around by which they can grab fruit off a tree, berries, figs, nothing exists there. They say, Okay, look, send these people away so they can go eat. I know that they've all gathered, but they need to go into the cities because they're they're not gonna have dinner. And he says, You feed them. And immediately they revert to the logical. What they come back telling him, giving a report of. We went out with nothing before, but unbelievably, Jesus did all like all this stuff happened, Lord. Like in your name, by the authority of the Father, in the Spirit of God, which we don't doesn't indwell us yet, but the power is all around us, we're seeing things happen we never could have imagined. It's blowing people's minds because we were just fishermen. And he goes, okay, then you feed them. Just like you gave reports, it's time, do it again. And they go, wait, we don't have like a half year's wages. How how are we supposed to feed these people? We don't have enough food. We don't have enough money. And he goes, did you heal the sick before? Did you raise the dead before? Did Did you do all that? No. Then where's your faith? You've seen this already. We've already been here, guys. You came back excited, telling me about all that the Lord did. So here's what I want you to do. In an orderly fashion, in a civil manner, have them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties so we can manage this. And then you come to me. I want you to know that you always have to come to me. You're always going to need to come to me when you need to fix the thing. Because you yourself cannot fix it. But I will be that power running through you, the conduit, to heal those who need it most. A need is presented. They're hungry. Dinner time. The need is present. Have them sit so we can manage this. Give me what we have. Let me break it. Then you come to me and you take it to them. And at the end of which, what do the disciples notice? They turn and go, Everyone's already eaten. And we've got food overflowing here. Twelve baskets full. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You've been here before. How many of... Jesus is challenging his disciples to think on something. That we are to always engage our minds, but we are to primarily engage our faith. Hello? Hello? Are we not people of faith? Like, he's given us minds that we exercise wisdom, but he also expects that we would engage in our faith. And here's a question that that Jesus kind of poses to them as he says, Hey, what do we have? You feed them. He's saying, You've been here before. Did you not learn from the previous lesson? How many of you have learned from previous lessons in life? You know, we can't grow unless we're teachable. And we can't move forward unless we're self-aware. We're self-aware of our own limitations and the limitations that we have seemingly placed on God in our lives. Because right here, even though they come back giving testimony of the miraculous, had they not placed limitation on God immediately because the resources just weren't there. You know one of the greatest things about persecution or a lack of resource? It causes creativity. You know, what, you know what comfort has a tendency to do? Leaves us with complacency. Hello? We are in America. Anybody here ever felt the lull of complacency in your faith? Do we trust that Jesus is still in the business of pushing back the dark and meeting all of our needs, even the most basic? Do we trust that he promises that he will, if he'll feed the clothes and clothe the birds and the fish, that he will do even more so for us? Do we trust him at his word that when he says we must seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added? Do we believe that Jesus expects us to serve the world around us? And do we also expect that he expects us to do that arm in arm together because we have faith in the one who actually heals. We just go as those who have been imparted and we've partaken and we've benefited from his healing. So we offer it to the rest of the world. Do we believe that he expects that? Here at the fellowship, I got to tell you we do. Because when you make it a core value, we're saying it's the fabric of who we are. And when we serve together and go back into the world, what that's called is ministry together. Jesus' last words before he ascended to go be with the Father in Acts 1.8, he gave a strategy. He said, you'll be my witnesses or my martyrs, those willing to die, for this message of the good news, the gospel, that heals and changes lives, that gives life. I need you to ask yourself this. How often do I give life in my school, in my workplace, in my neighborhood? How often is the power of God giving life through me as a conduit to those I encounter? He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all ends of the earth. There's a strategy. If we're going to go to all ends of the earth and we hear the title serving together, I want you to understand, this is an opportunity for you to think, okay, so they're wanting me to sign up. I need to volunteer. That's true. However, how are we to take care of a world that is broken and hurting when we can't fix it? Unless we are taking care of the hurting and the broken seated next to us right here. The only call that we have as a people is to shepherd well. And every week we have an opportunity like this at the end of a service where we have a chance to respond to what God has said. We have an opportunity to respond and minister together, to take care of those who are in our immediate proximity. We have this opportunity right now to think on those people who in our life group I know are struggling, but yet I've yet to put my hand on their shoulder. We have an opportunity to think about those who Mother's Day may be incredibly painful and isolating and go to them and let them know, I'm here with you, I'm here for you. I love you in the name of Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to flip the script right here. I want to flip the script this morning and what I want to do is this. Most of the time I would say, hey, we have the table open for communion if you want to go take communion and meet at the Lord's table and re-enlist in In the ministry of Jesus And the faith that we have in him And you can do that We have the crosses here Where you can pin prayer requests And lay people before him And we also have prayer partners Who are going to stand in a moment And leaders as well And I always say to you If you need prayer Go to them Here's where we're flipping the script this morning God has called us And we as a church Because of the ministry of Jesus Value the fact that we get to serve together So instead of looking for someone to pray for you I want you to look for someone to pray for this morning, I want us to scan the crowd, look around you. I want you to ask Jesus, "Who is it that I am to pray for today? Who is it in my immediate care? It may be your proximate partner, someone seated next to you, maybe someone across the way, who is in your life group, whom you know has a need, and you just need to come alongside and let them know that you love them. Can we do that? Can we, a people of faith, who recognize we fix nothing, but we get to join God in the kingdom's advance, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth, and the carpenter who fixes it all, the Savior who loved us enough to redeem us on the cross, says, you get to join me. I am already working in someone's life this morning by creating a need they're aware of. I've also just whispered to you that they have that need. Will you be bold enough to go to them? I sent out my disciples, I sent out the 12 to walk as I asked them to, worthy of the call. Will you, in this room, practice walking worthy of the call so that when God whispers in your ear out there, you've practiced well and you're prepared? Hello? In this time, there's about to be a lot of movement, okay? And I'm going to help us out right here, right now, okay? Okay? We're going to pray for one another and go to the brother or sister that God has laid on our heart. It doesn't matter about their age. It doesn't matter where they come from. You're going to go to them and you're going to be a little motherly. Amen? How many of you know mom was always there to kiss the boo-boos and you saw it on the video? How many of you know mom was always a little bit more sympathetic and had an empathy and would come to you when you just didn't know how to say what was bothering you? Hello? So let's join with Jesus, his disciples, and the mothers of the room by going to others. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask for some of you to be really bold and brave. Here they are. If you need prayer for something right now, you need prayer, you're dealing with something, will you just slip your hand up so we can know that? Just slip it up right here and say, I just need prayer. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for being honest. Who else? Who else just needs prayer today? Amen. There are hands going up across the room. So we have people to pray for. Amen? They just said that. Please don't dismiss how bold they were to say, please, I humbly admit I need prayer. Let's go to them. There are 10, 5, 10, 15 people around the people who just raised their hand. They need to go to them and lay hands on them and pray with them. There are more. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask the band to come back. And we are gonna begin to pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you love us. And God, we thank you that in your example and sending the disciples you have called and expect us to do ministry together. You desire for us to, to meet the needs of those around us. And God, you're sending us right now. So I pray that you would speak very loudly to us. And God, you place on our hearts it, a friend. A person we're doing life with in life group, it may be a complete stranger this morning. They may be a guest who's just walked in for the very first time, but God, you've placed them on our heart. Let your people be sensitive to your leading us. Let us hear from you. Let us put everything else aside right now. Let's not worry about anything else. We'll get out of here soon enough to go have lunch, and we're going to honor mom. But let's honor mom right now by acting like mom a little bit right now. God, will you come and help us respond to you in a motherly fashion? And will you help us to walk as you expect your disciples to walk? God, may there be ministry happening all around this room as we seek to be obedient, to pray for those you've called us to pray for, and to meet the present need that has already been, already been exposed. Some people have raised their hand for prayer. There are those who didn't. God, make us sensitive to even go to those who didn't raise their hand. Let us remember, God, that we have a responsibility as your people to exercise our faith by going to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.